2022 ACB Virtual DC Leadership Meetings will be held Saturday, March 12th through Tuesday, March 15th. Registration is $20 for ACB members and $30 for non-members. ACB members were sent a discount code via email. If you are an ACB member and did not receive the discount code, please call the Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242. Registration closes March 9th. Visit acb.org for more information or register at https slash slash tinyurl.com slash 2022-DC-Leadership-Meetings. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Christy Crespin coming to you from Highland, California. This is the ACB History Book Discussion Group for February 1st. And this morning we have Trish Lepofsky as our host and Larry Gassman as our streamer. Welcome, Trish and Larry. And Trish, could you give the information about raising hands, etc.? And if you all are, um, please, if you want to talk, raise your hand. Thank you. Okay, Go so ahead. to raise your hand, on the PC, it's Alt-Y. On the Mac, it's Option-Y. On the cell phone, it's in the lower right corner. Double tap on the More button, and you will see... And you swipe over to the raised hand button. And if you are on a standard keypad phone, it's Alt 9. Do you want me to give the, the mute? Star, star 9. Oh, I'm sorry. Star 9. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. that. Star yeah. 9. Yep. And the mute and unmute. Uh-huh. Okay. So if you're on the PC to mute and unmute, it's Alt A. If you're on the Mac, it's Command Shift A. If you are on the smartphone, it's the lower left corner. And if you are on the standard keypad, it's star six. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. So as we do um, every week, we'll begin by um, discussing what we have um, basically felt, thought about, Uh, discovered um, as we continue reading through the book, The Unseen Minority, A Social History of Blindness in the United States by Frances, F-R-A-N-C-E-S, middle initial A, last name K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R, Kessler, copyright 1976, in the Bard edition, and 2004 in the Bookshare edition by the American American Foundation for the Blind. So uh, anyone have any, I don't want to talk about the children yet, so just up to the point of talking about these chapters 23 and 24 on the children. We have no hands at this time. Okay. 
what do you all think about, you know, this book is, is giving us more and more information as we go along uh, and, and mm-hmm. placing things in sections. And, you know, last week we talked about uh, uh, inventions and objects and uh, which uh, I read this morning um, an article about the Perkins Brailler, which um, made me think about uh, last week's chapters that the Perkins Brailler is 70 years old. And, you know, things have been happening um, early, early on in the, in the 1800s, in the early 1900s, that did not come to fruition until, you know, um, even after I graduated from high school in 1971. So what do you guys, what do you think? What do you, what are your takeaways? Okay. We do have a hand. Nellie, go ahead. Good morning. Good morning. I, um, have been thinking that, um, Things have happened um, so rapidly. It's it's kind of like um, uh, a snowball rolling downhill. It things uh, for the blind started out very slowly in the late 1800s, and then they um, gradually picked up some momentum in the early 1900s, and and there were many bumps and obstacles. Um, in the way, but seriously, in the past um, 22 years, it has been, uh, uh, progress has been going at a breakneck speed, although there are still um, many things that linger on from that time about um, where we are not um, seen for the individuals that we are and for the strengths and um, um, gifts that we bring to the table, um, there is still a lot of that in our society. But in terms of other things like um, education and technology and um, other opportunities that um, are out there that we're able to participate in, um, things have really sped up. So I am thinking, okay, if this has come to where we are now, what's it going to be like for um, the children of today who are blind? And what, um, you know, what's ahead for them? And what um, can I do um, that's going to make a difference now? Um that will benefit not only adults, but children. So I, I've been thinking about. Ellie, I like your question. What can I do now to make a difference for later? Mm-hmm. What can I do now in terms of uh, advocacy, in terms of education, in terms of um, leading people to future careers, um, in terms of leadership, what can I do now to benefit 
our blind children and people of the future mm. who happen to become blind. I, I appreciate that. I think um, this book, uh, you know, it ends basically, um, it talks a little bit about 1976, but mostly things just seem to kind of grind for a halt, to a halt in 1972, 1973. And, you know, that's 50 years ago. So what, um, what have been the strides um, that we've made since then? And another question that I have is, if I don't do something now to keep what we've got, how much are we going to lose in the next 50 years? And we do have another hand. Mr. Okay. Larry, go okay, ahead. Larry. I think Nellie has the ability to read minds. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's funny, as I'm listening to her speak, I'm going, wait a minute. Th- th- that's what I was going to say. And then she'd go a little further and I said, but, and I was going to say that. It's amazing because as I, w- as I go through this book and I haven't had a chance to read everything, I'm just so far behind. But, but everything... The, the, the snowball analogy was a good one because everything mm-hmm. that we have seen in reading not only the um, People of Vision book, but this one as well, <laughs> it was slower, obviously, earlier on. People actually wrote letters and had to wait God knows how many weeks for responses. Now you send an email and it can get back to you within 10 seconds if somebody's that fast. <laughs> but in essence, you'd get something back within within maybe a half hour, max, especially if they're busy. Everything has escalated. Everything that we do is escalated, whether it be social media, whether it be advocacy, etc., because communication is that fast. Um, and I, I think it's going to happen even at a faster rate as we continue on. And even when we're gone, um, younger generations who are now beginning to get involved, especially with ACB, are learning about advocacy and learning about technology and things like that. I, I think it can only get faster. I don't think that's a, that is a possibility that we'll lose unless we make a conscious effort to just not do anything, and then we'll lose. I think that there's some, there's some, some affirmation that says, we're not going to let this go. We're going to continue to push forward. We'll be fine. Um, in terms of you know, here's what I want to do to make things happen. That's the way I've been all my life. Not so much with ACB because I only joined it in 2018, but even in my career with Marriott, I always figured that if I could do something, I was on the team that helped, especially as it related to accessibility in terms of web, in terms of Marriott, in terms of making reservations. If I could do my job and help to figure out how to do things and pass those along to other people, we all win. It wasn't I won. It was we all have the ability to succeed, and that's really what's most important. And the same thing goes true for ACB and advocacy. If we can all push and pull together to make things happen and understand why there are differences and bring those differences together, we all win. And after all, isn't that really what's most important? It's not what side of the aisle you live on. It's all trying to find a, a way to get together and accomplish. And in the end, we all win. Easier said than done. 
Thank you, Larry. Very well said. Okay, next we have Libby. Libby, go mm -hmm. ahead. Libby? You're still muted, Libby. If you're having trouble, come out and go come back in and I'll and, and we'll call you when you come back in. And don't forget you have to do the got it button, Libby. Yeah. Everybody, you gotta get the got it. She's still muted. Let's yeah. see. Let's see. Let me um send her a oh. She's gone. She she um she's gonna she's probably gonna come back in. Yeah. All right. Anybody else while we're waiting for Libby? Have any comments? I'm amazed at the people. I just keep reading about these people um, who made such a difference. Some people, um, you know, we don't hear them of their name except for maybe one or two times in this book. We don't read of them. Others, we read about them in like almost every chapter. And um, I always wonder, in the history book, um, you know, gosh, who in our generation is going to be listed in these history books as having made a difference? Okay, um, Alan, go ahead. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Alex. Good morning to everyone. I think with all the technology and the, with especially with computer access, with the virtual access that we have, and especially inventions over the <clears throat> past 70 years has really made things happen uh, as far as education and that kind of thing um, as a result of that. Yes, most definitely. If you ever get a chance and you're visiting um, one of the organizations like the American Foundation for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky, um, it's really interesting to see the museum and to see some of the old devices that they used. Um, pretty, pretty amazing to me. And I think about um, how would it feel to have to wait. And, and I remember, um, you know, getting letters in print and having to have someone read the letter to me growing up. And I remember how exciting it, it was to get my, my mail from my friends in Braille and I could read it all by myself or I could read the magazines um, in Braille. And I, I always wonder, how did they get here? And of course, now I know how they got here. My mother ordered them, <laughs> but you know, it was like magic. Wow, a Braille. And I'm not even a, I don't love to read Braille. It's slow. And, and, but if I feel impatient because it's slow, how did those people feel 
you're you feel blessed, but still um, it's so much slower um, than our able-bodied sighted brothers and sisters. Okay, Libby is back and she is unmuted. So go ahead, Libby. Um, I went ahead and I read twenty. I read 25 and 26 because, and that's the end of my book. I don't have a 27. And it was talking about, you know, I don't want to read. I don't want to go to the head part. I just want to talk about up to chapter 23. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm like you. I, 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 you know, as I read this, I'm going back to my own childhood growing up, my own experiences of not learning Braille and having to, deal with magnifying glasses and large print and, you know, that kind of stuff. And now I can't even read some large print, you know, and back then I could uh, with magnifying glasses uh, at one point and then even without. And seventh grade for me was awful. They tried to make me read regular print, which I couldn't do, you know. Yeah. And vision, it was, vision it was changes awful. and and our needs change and um I don't I don't know how equipped um and this is getting into chapter twenty three, so I kinda don't want to go there yet, but just in life, I don't think that society was equipped at that point to get um what was really going on in the lives of blind people. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Thank you. No hands at this time. Okay. Um, Well, I'd like to open it up to the discussion of chapter 23 and 24. Chapter 23 um, was really interesting because it talked about uh, the very um, educational programs um, that actually started out as um, asylum programs for the defective people. And, And actually, isn't that nice to know we were labeled as defective? Um, wow. Um, we were categorized and I don't, I, I don't mind that we were categorized with other people, but what I do mind is, is the name that was attributed to all of us, the, the, the quote, feeble minded, you know, the deaf, the, the idiots, the, you know, we weren't expected to be able to uh, do things that everybody else, quote unquote, could do. Um, And so thank goodness for people like Samuel Ridley Howe and um, uh, other people who began carrying and you know, really thinking about uh, the future of of blind people, I'd like to open it up for discussion. 
uh, like I said, about chapter 23 and chapter chapter 24, uh, Larry was mentioning, yeah, for those of us with ROP, which we call it now retinopathy of prematurity, when we grew up, when I was eight years old, my mother taught me retrolental fibroplasia. And I thought I was the coolest kid under the sun because I could tell people that's what my eye condition was. Okay, don't all speak at once, guys. <laughs> okay, that got you a raised hand. Beth, <laughs> go ahead. Morning, Beth. You're like me. When I was growing up, my mom, my mom did explain to us what optic nerve atrophy was, and I thought I was the coolest kid on the on the block because I knew what my eye condition was, but I hated it because I was always being compared to my sister who was a high partial. I did not like mainstream school. I didn't mm -hmm. care for it. I liked the education. I liked the band activities that we got to, but um, some of the nuns didn't really know how to teach you. And, and there wasn't that many, um, Ah, tools that they could use to be able to teach you. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like being the only one in the school like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. And I was so glad. Oh, man, I went to I went to church when I found out I was going to go to the blind school. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. In ninth grade. Uh-huh. Well, Um, I guess let, let's talk about some of our, our experiences. I know for me, I went to kindergarten at the school where my brothers and sister had gone to kindergarten. Um, I did not, was not in a special program. Um, basically, the, the thing that I remember is that at the end of kindergarten, um, back in the day, they didn't you know, teach letters in kindergarten, it's a lot different than it is now. Um, and I remember at the, the very end of kindergarten, I got a little, uh, probably was a two by five or six or seven, maybe a two by seven uh, card that had my name spelled out in block letters in print with um, yarn glued to the cardboard, which that was actually a, a pretty awesome uh, idea uh, by my teacher, Mrs. Johnson. And that was the first time I had seen uh, print letters with my fingers. Uh, and um, they were pretty big. So, so that was really nice. Um, it's, it's funny the things that we remember, you know, over 60 years later. And I remember that card, little card stock with my name printed on it. When I was in first grade and second grade, I got on the bus and I went to Lake Marie School in Whittier, 
And it had a little program. Um, there was a lower grade resource teacher, Mrs. Fly, and an upper grade resource teacher, Mr. Katie. And um, so during the first week of school, I was kept in the resource room so I could learn, um, start learning Braille and, and other, other social kinds of things. Um, but I was gradually uh, requisitioned <laughs> to um, my regular first grade class. And there were several of us, uh, but we, none of us were in the same class. So they spread the wealth of the blind kids out through the teachers. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I'll in a minute. I then went to um, a school across town from where I lived in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade and had a resource teacher. Um, and um, those resource teachers in uh, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade did other social things with us and really kind of worked with us. Like I remember working with one to show me how to um, use the crossbars and the chin-up bars on the playground. I, I went to my uh, seventh and eighth grade in resource programs, um, but I had moved in uh, three weeks into seventh grade, so I went to a completely different school system, and I was bused an hour and a half each way to school for seventh and eighth grade. I asked my mother and my godmother, I said, I want to go to where my brothers and my sister are going to school. So they they put up a fight with the school districts and they prevailed. Um, but really derogatory things were said about me um, and about my mother and my godmother, um, even though I prevailed. So I had essentially... I had uh, itinerant teachers all the way through high school. Okay. Okay, so Musi did have her hand raised, but she lowered it. Musi, did you want to speak? I just wanted to say that uh, they did, only a few, a very small percent were called feeble-minded. They, I mean, they found out very quickly that blind people could learn. And so uh, I don't think that... Um, there were people that wanted to help because they had relatives that were blind, but there were also just uh, people interested in prevention. I just was really inspired by this book. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I just thought, um, and, and then when it got to helping the partially sighted with magnifiers, I, it was really funny because the first magnifier they came out with was sold out right away. And that the first yeah. large print yeah. book, Profiles and Courage, was sold out. You know, and it was just, I just think it was a very inspiring book. And uh, there is a problem. The one guy who said, in our, in our blind schools, we have to admit, we have some feeble-minded. And they didn't know what to do with them. Right. Um, and, and, you know, anyway, I just um, think it's a very inspiring book. Thank what about you. your experience, McMusey? Were you... Um, were you um, blind in um, in school or later? Uh, no, I um, I'm partially sighted. I have a I have a quite a bit of vision, and uh -huh. uh, 
Uh-huh. And my big problem with is um, mobility and depth perception, but I don't really need a cane. I mean, I'm, I'm actually very, very fortunate, but I went through, I got a master's degree in um, teaching mm-hmm. the blind. And so I did all the blindfold things. And <laughs> so I have a real feeling of, um, especially when I get up at night, uh-huh. I have a real feeling about um, how you have to be very oriented to, um, to where you are. And it's so much safer to stay home. <laughs> but, uh, I try to get out, you know, and go to meet, I go to meetings. No, I, no, um, I just want to listen to th- this discussion. I'm enjoying the book. Thank you. Thank you so much, Missy. Okay. Next we have Larry. Go ahead, Larry. It's interesting because the only time I think I ever went to a a school, and it wasn't really even a school for the blind, but it was the orientation center for the blind uh, up in Northern California, and that's where I learned about kids and uh, kids who went to schools for the blind. My my parents didn't know anything about blindness when we were coming out of the hospital, and we were twins, and we were type A, and they found when they talked to people at Braille Institute and Foundation for the Junior Blind that as long as we could be made to uh, go to school with everybody else and be accountable just like anybody else would be. That's what they wanted. And so they looked for schools that, in essence, had a resource room. And of course, Christy knows this because we went to school together for two years, long time ago, in Whittier. Uh, we went to the that's, same school. And it was a resource room. And a resource mm-hmm. room was not a room that we would spend time in all day long. We might spend an hour there, you know, learning how to read Braille, uh, or maybe if we had tests that needed to be taken, they would help us by reading the questions and we would write down the answers. Other than that, we would be in mainstream school. And I always went to mainstream schools uh, through Lake Maria and then later South Whittier. And then, of course, uh, getting in even into high school and college, obviously, it was all mainstream. And and I was, I didn't know it then. I was so blessed because my parents wanted us to be as, wanted our lifestyles to be as close as they could be to sighted people. And so that's what they decided to do. And they fought to make sure that even though we went to a school that had a resource room, it was not going to be a school of just blind people because they wanted, they thought it was just as important for us to be able to mainstream with sighted people as it was for sighted people to actually mainstream with blind people and so and that's another reason why we all got spread out in terms of teachers and in terms of because the teachers were just like the sighted kids in many respects they'd never had a chance to actually deal with blind people they didn't know anything about blind people and so uh, there were a few of us sprinkled in each each class and, and, you know, they learned from us and we learned from them. It was a fascinating idea that I didn't even know was obviously an idea when I first went. I, I figured it out much, 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 much later on. Right. Yeah. But it was really cool. And I'm so glad I went. Next we, have, next we have Libby. Libby. Libby, go ahead and unmute. Yeah. Um, I, can, I can attest to that too, Larry. Um, for me, I started out at Beardsley, and that was the county school. That's where all the blind kids and parcels, that's where we all went. 
I went there from first, from kindergarten to second grade. My teacher was Mr. Zeke. And then from third grade to seventh grade, actually, uh, sixth grade, they took all of us parcels and threw us into a city school called Franklin, regular school. And uh, it was the, it was me and Bob Ross, Maria Solis, and we were the only three that there were. Uh, and it was it was awful. I hated it because we were uh, the other two kids weren't made as fun up as much as I was mm-hmm. because I was out there and I was you know I ran for different offices for, mm-hmm. you know. I, you know, and uh, I was elected secretary in my fifth grade class, which I thought was the biggest thing since popcorn. (laughs) And, you know, um, it was awful. And, uh, you know, they tried to make us do things like play baseball and stuff like that. And it was hard enough. But, you know, I didn't know I didn't learn Braille. I had to learn large print. And so I had the large print editions of books Huge. and stuff. Huge and, books, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I barely remember Dick and Jane. And um, and then, of course, in third grade, we started learning typing mm-hmm. and uh, cursive writing, just like everybody else. And stuff, and I was able to read it back then. But as I got older, um, much, 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 much older, uh, into my adulthood, late 20s, you know, that's when things started to change. Seventh grade, like I said, was H-E double toothpick. Mm -hmm. And it was seven, it was, I was the only, well, no, we three were the only kids there. And, um, Again, I was made fun of, and my my folks had had enough of them trying to teach me to read regular print. He said, and he was a Mason, so he knew some people that were on the school board, and they were Masons too. So he talked to them when he'd go to his meetings and such, and tell them about our situation. Well, finally, they said enough, and they said eighth grade, she's going back to Beardsley, and I did. I was at the other school for a week, and I went back to Beardsley. And I loved it because I was with the other blind kids that we knew because we had Saturday morning activities, bowling, uh, arts and crafts. And such. and then, of course, we all went to camp, you know, to Bloomfield and stuff and, and, and whatever. And uh, I, I, I wasn't made fun of as much because we were all there mm-hmm. and they knew us, mm-hmm. you know. And then in high school. Uh, we all went to a different high. We all went to West High. That's where all the blind kids were. They're not there now. They're at another school called Ridgeview, which is way, 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 way out south of town. And um, <clears throat> I loved it. I loved high school. We had Mrs. Igo. And then in my junior year, we had Miss Wyatt. We had two transcribers, Mrs. Wolf and Mrs. Hamilton. And that was our for me i used that room for reading like certain books in english or trying to do homework during study hall and all that stuff but other than that we went to regular class like everybody else 
And then, then of course, I went to OCB. And one thing that surprised me was, why in the heck did it take the medical community 10 years to finally figure out, or 12 years, because I was two when they discovered the isolettes, that the oxygen was, was what the cause of the problem was that was causing our total blindness or, or partial blindness, mm-hmm. you know. And after that, you know, so 10 years. So, you know, you know, all of us from 44 to 54, yeah. we got shafted. Literally. Well, even 55. Oh, yeah. 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 And well, so. But I look at it as a, at least I'm alive. Because, oh, yeah. I hear that. Because hear they, that. they told my dad there wasn't anything that they could do for me. And my dad said, heck, you, you better believe you're good. You do everything you can. Yeah. Yeah, so. I know they did the same thing for me, and uh, you know, uh, our church had a prayer vigil for me for my first three months of life before I they transferred me from the maternity home to the county hospital where I stayed until I came home the day I was due. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean that that's I still celebrate that day. Uh huh. To this day. I still celebrate that day. And the kicker was my brother, my younger brother, was supposed to have been born the same day. Had we been, had things worked out, we would have been in the same, had the same birthday. That's funny. <laughs> years apart. That's too funny. But anyway, so I, 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 I tried to learn Braille at 13. Um, Mr. Chapman was a friend of my mom and dad's and he was an NFBer, but he was very, very quiet about it. He wasn't out there, you know. And of course, it was extremely difficult. And of course, then when I got to OCB, I had to learn it. Yeah. By that time. Yeah, I, I, um, I really think that my life, because of the foundation for the junior blind, was so. Uh, different. The foundation for the junior blind influenced my life, my family. Um, I, 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 I'm so thankful. Um, I've made so many lasting relationships. Oh yeah. But but I also learned so many social skills and got to do things. My my brothers and sister were ticked off because I got to do so much more than they did and got to see, you know, celebrities and go to concerts and do all this stuff that they didn't get to do. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, my mom had to remind me and kind of put me in my place a little bit because I, I was, you know, got to be a little bit cocky um, as a teenager and, uh, and she she basically had to tell me, look, you know, your brothers and sister aren't doing the things that you're doing. So if they're doing something and you're not doing it, that's just too bad, basically. Um, and, and my parents also taught me that I need to needed to be better than than yeah other people yeah. because. I needed to, um, I needed to be 
um, in a in a place that I could be recognized and 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 called on. And so in school, I I ran for student council in the fifth grade, and I didn't win, but that was okay. Um, I I did uh, chorus. And I also, for some reason, I do not under know why I did, but I was, I used to give speeches. Um, I don't know if I was in a club, um, but I just remember standing up and giving these speeches. And my sister was a, um, a really interesting person, but I used to borrow, she was three, three grades ahead of me or four grades ahead of me. And, um, I used to, no, three grades ahead of me. I used to, um, I used to give the speeches that she gave. And so she used to read them to me and I used to write them in Braille. <laughs> and that was kind of interesting. Um, the other thing that I would do is I would take some book reports that she did and I would just rewrite the book report. I would get an A. My brothers or my, sister got like B's and C's on the book reports, but I rewrote them, never read the book and got A's. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, anybody else? What was your experience um, with with RLF or your condition or um, with thoughts about reading chapters 23 and 24? What was your experience in school? I know um, it talked we, about separating the partials. Oh, good. Separating the partials from the totals. And I sort of remember um, them talking about how certain people got to had to learn braille and other people got to learn print but in our resource rooms we were still all kept together okay alan go ahead i have attended classes with partials and sighted into uh, partially blind and blind individuals uh-huh and my first years they taught everybody braille whether you were sighted or partially sighted or not, because mm -hmm. I went to the school for the blind there at Berkeley, and both of us was taught Braille regardless. Mm -hmm. So we had at least an even playing field on that. Did they stop doing it at some point? Because I remember them teaching did, everybody yes. Braille, and then all of a sudden, and I think it was that year that they started separating out the partials from the, from the totals. Um, if they didn't do it... Um, um, literally, then they did it by um, this person no longer has to learn Braille, and these other people have to learn Braille. But sometimes, Christy, it's necessary for them to learn Braille because some of these individuals can barely read the print as it is, you know. Right. And they had an extremely difficult time uh, in school for that reason. You know, my husband um, is is a pretty high partial, but he wishes that he would have learned Braille. Um, 
And I know people that did learn Braille right along with learning print. And I see those people and how they um, adjusted to their blindness as their vision decreased. And um, they were much uh, better at um, giving presentations, um, you know, uh, utilizing Braille uh, in their everyday life. Uh, taking notes, um, and it's really too bad. I think it's a big disservice. I think because of how situations can go and people can lose vision, um, that I believe that every person who has a visual impairment needs to at least be introduced to Braille. And I believe that every blind person needs to be introduced to um, the fundamentals of print by reading, at least looking at raised print. Um, I I know um, I was kind of surprised to know how many different um, types of print there are. And I can read regular, you know, the the regular capitalized, basically what what I guess they call block print, but um, other print I can't read and also how many of you can sign your name um legibly I can't if we have a hand Libby go ahead Libby um yeah um amen to everything you said girl (laughs) um yes I can write my name uh pretty good considering (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, um, the hardest for me thing, you know, again, is to where's the line to mm-hmm. find your name on the check or what have you. And, you know, and that made it hard. Uh, I never was. I don't remember the block print or anything. We just started out with, um, you know, learning the alphabet like everybody else and. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, the capital letters. Yeah. The all uniform capital letters. Yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I, uh, you know, we learned that. And, um, oh, yeah, I I agree. I'm such a big proponent of anybody that's partial. Learn Braille, because there's no guarantee you're going to keep what little you've got. That's right. And uh, that is something that, in, in that regard... I will never forget when somebody told me I was functionally illiterate and that just made me so angry. Why did they say that to you? Um, we were at an NFB convention and my roommate said that to me because they were, you know, pushing everybody learn Braille and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I told her and she said, well, Livy, you're just, you're functionally illiterate because I couldn't read Braille that fast. And um, and stuff. I'm a lot better now, but um, I think about people who are functionally illiterate as not being able to reprint and not reading Braille and just depending on audible um, information. Yeah, yeah, and that's sort of what I've done. I've, I, you know, when I 
took notes in high school. I, I brought a tape. Yes, sometimes I take notes, but I it got was too hard for me, hurt my eyes. So I went to the, you know, tape recorder route and did it that way. And it was hard. It was long, you know, to study for a test. Did you braille such. out the materials afterwards or write them out? Or I, I found it was so difficult to, I would tape my classes and it, and then I would listen to it and it would be so horrible and long and couldn't remember things. And then yeah. we would, and then I would say, okay, well, I'm going to braille out the information from the tapes. Um, and that was horrible. So I just decided to start using, and I learned, um, especially in college, I used, uh, learned braille grade three, which is the braille shorthand, which I don't know why some of those things they didn't make into, like, I love Love is dot five V. I remember that. And I'm like, how come we can't use that? <laughs> they, mm, yeah. I wish they would have incorporated some of grade three Braille into um, the new UEB. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, hey, buddy. Thank you. Uh-huh. Beth, go ahead. Beth? Um. I went the the tape recorder route too because um, I guess since I did go to Catholic school, there wasn't that many. Oh, in other words, they couldn't get my books from like APH or um, stuff like they did get like um, you know like the other mainstream kids' books. You know what I mean? They went to public school. Right. And um, so for a few years, when when we were here in the states, Braille Services of New Mexico had to had to do that. But the the stuff that they couldn't get in Braille, because I learned Braille in the UK, and I thought that was fantastic. I learned cane travel there too. Mm-hmm. But I um, I liked um, the stuff they couldn't get in Braille. Uh, they did on tape and then uh, I did learn how to type in like third grade yeah third grade and um, I thought that was pretty cool but I guess one of the things that I didn't like I mean you know how like I said the kids were rude sometimes and the teacher would have to read read me the uh, they didn't have resource rooms in, in Catholic school. I think mm-hmm. that's what I didn't really care for either. Um, and the teacher, when we were having a test, she would have to read it orally. And then I'd get a high grade, but I could remember stuff. And, and I used to take notes in Braille sometimes before the test. And I used to study. And and they would say, oh, you got a high grade because sister helped you or because right. you were cheating, you know. And right. And I don't know, I just doesn't feel good. Um, but I did learn the uniform block capital letters from one of those magnetic boards, would oh, you believe yes. that's how I used to do my math? Oh too. yes. I used to play with that with my cousin who was like a few couple years younger than me, and I would be the teacher and I would play and and uh yes, he had that. I didn't have that. Uh huh. But I love. Yeah, that's how I learned. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are cool. And they had the magnetic numbers on the other mm-hmm. side, you know? Yeah. And, um, well, like, like in third and fourth grade, the teacher would walk by and see if I had my answer right. But then I think so could everybody else. Yeah. You, you got your answer right. That's right. And so if they wanted to copy, I guess they could, you know? No privacy. I also used, yeah. I also used something after when I learned Braille, something that was called the cuberism and the Taylor slate. The cuberism was a, it had dots on all the, on all the things on all the sides of the cube. And then you would just put whatever, like, like a seven would be a, a G, but, but you didn't have the number sign, you know? Right. And I would just put those in there and then you learn how to multiply that way and multiply, subtract, and add and divide. Oh, I was so glad when I got to use the abacus though. <laughs> and then, um, I don't know, but I don't know why some of the kids resented some of the stuff that, um, like one time, uh, they messed up some of my books, you know, because they, well, Oh, you know, that's cheating. You get to you get to listen to everything and and uh and you always get high grades. Well they messed up some of the tapes, you know, and uh, I don't know, it was just it was just kind of awful sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then if that particular nun didn't want to teach you or didn't know how, um they would shuffle you to another grade where I mean, you'd still technically be in the sixth grade, but they would shuffle you to another grade where maybe that nun had the patience to to teach you, and and the other, or and the other one didn't, you know. And that's what I didn't really yeah. like either. And and um, back then, your parents really didn't listen to you. Uh, my sister that was getting along good because she was a partial. I taught her braille, by the way, because my mom had a prince thing that had the braille uh braille stuff braille you know how to learn mm-hmm. braille right and she's like i want to read that and i said well you could uh-huh and we so it was just kind minutes. of interesting thank you does she read it now yeah yeah because she knows that's the only way i could write to her i i don't have a manual typewriter anymore and i don't mm-hmm. um we call each other Mm-hmm. But I don't have a computer and stuff. My husband, when he was courting me, used a slate and stylus and wrote me a three-page letter using the slate and stylus. And I was simply amazed. And I told him, I said, I can't believe you did that. There's no way in heck that I'd be writing three pages with the slate and stylus. <laughs> Oh. Well, um, um, you know, these, these chapters, again, are, are leading to some very interesting um, situations and very interesting thoughts. Um, and the next chapter, um, we're going to read chapter 25, which is uh, the loneliest people. And I thought we would read this 
um, on its own. And um, because um, it doesn't really fit with chapter 26, chapter 27 is real short. It's like the where do we go from here kind of thing. Um, um, but I, I, I want us to read just chapter 25 next week, and that way everybody can get caught up too. Um, and when I ask, you know, what are your comments about everything in the first part, you know, you, you, can, you can say more. Um, if you haven't been a part of this reading and you want to download the book and just simply read chapter 25 and come and join us next week, We'd be more than happy to have you. Again, the book is available on Bard and on Bookshare. It is The Unseen Minority, a history of a social history of blindness in the United States by Francis A. Kestler, K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R. And uh, copyright. 1976 and 2004 by the American Foundation for the Blind. Um, any last comments before we close for today? Thank you, Christy. Thank you. Blessings to all of you. And Thank you, Christy. Uh-huh. And we'll we'll be uh meeting next week to read chapter 25. And I would like you guys to consider what is next. What's next for our ACB history book discussion group? All right. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>